This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. In this episode, I welcome on my dear colleague, Dr. Jill Krista. Before we get started with the introduction, I want to let you know that we've dedicated this particular episode in honor of Dr. Krista. We've dedicated it to the Neuroimmune Foundation. You can find their work at neuroimmune.org. This is an organization that Dr. Krista feels very strongly for, and we will make a contribution in honor of this episode once we've reached 100 plays. Please feel free to make your own donation by going to their website, neuroimmune.org. Now for today's episode. Dr. Krista is a pioneering naturopathic doctor, clinical educator, and best-selling author. She is also a creative innovator. She focuses on conditions that cause injury to the brain and nervous system, including mold, Lyme disease, and concussion, and is an expert in the topic we are discussing today, pans and pandas. She recently came out with a book called a light in the dark for pandas and pans. You can get this book on Amazon and other retailers. And this is an amazing guide for people who are dealing with pans and pandas, such as parents and their families. It's a collective resource that will help people get focused on getting better with the right information in their hands. We go into many aspects of pans and pandas. PANS is, stands for Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndromes, and PANDAS stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections. These are related disorders, and they both cause neuroinflammation in the brain and have some severe symptoms such as OCD and anxiety. They are related to many other chronic infections and chronic environmental pathogens and environmental toxicants. And Dr. Jill does an amazing job in today's episode talking about what is the underlying cause of pans and pandas and understanding what's happening in the brain and what's leading to certain behaviors and changes in personality um, and other body symptoms that the patients are dealing with. This is an all-consuming condition. Parents are often at their wits end as to what to do and how to help their child. And there is a lot of empowerment in learning in the root cause of these disorders and understanding the different treatment modalities and treatment approaches that are available. 
In this episode, we go into those things um, in great detail as far as the root cause, things to consider to help your child, and also um, provide a framework of understanding what treatments are likely to help. So without further ado, I welcome you to this week's episode of The One Thing Podcast. Dr. Jill, welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you again. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a treat to talk with you again. Thank you. Um, I'd love to catch up on the last couple years of your life. I know there's been a lot happening since your last podcast with us. Um, so maybe you could give us an update. Sure. I, uh, I published another book. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind yep. of what I did. I went into a hole. I spent a summer off, you know, teaching and um, being on social media, those sorts of things. So I could get my book fully researched and written and, and then, uh, and then pared down quite a bit to the most important things and uh, the most simple language that I could explain things. So that's what I've been up to, you know, that. And I started a membership uh, because I haven't been able to take new patients in quite some time. Um, the mm-hmm. families that I start with, you know, they divide. <laughs> so they, yeah. That's right. just kind of the way it goes, you know. And uh, so I tried to figure out something where people could come and at least get support and get my perspective if they're interested in that. Um, so I've been also working with the amazing members in my membership um, who are, it's just this beautiful supportive group of people. And we do things in more of like a one to many, you know, so I'm talking to the whole group. And what's so great about group learning is that when someone asks a question, you think, I didn't even think to ask that question. You only know the questions that you think to ask. And so it's really expanded everybody's knowledge and including mine, you know, so that's what I've been up to. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. And so the, I know that most of your previous work leading up to that was dealing was addressing mold and Lyme. Um, and that was kind of like a core of your focus. Can you share with us a little bit about your journey into the world of pand and pandas and um, just kind of, I know a little bit about it. And of course, like you talk about it in your new book quite a bit, but I'd love for us to just kind of hear sort of how that took hold in your life. Well, I gave birth to them, <laughs> two kids with him. <laughs> so that uh, that's the first thing is the being in the trenches and not really understanding what's going on. Um, back then, that would be 20 years ago, you know, we didn't even have diagnoses. And, and uh, so it was just living it, you know. And uh, what is, so mold is sort of the center of this wheel. And there are many spokes that go out from that. So that kind of shapes... Mm-hmm the specialties that I enjoy working with is the complex chronic conditions. Um, that's neuroinflammation and stealth infections and toxicity is kind of the, the, how those all come together. And mold is so often at the center of that wheel. So it's mold and mm-hmm. then Lyme, chronic Lyme, mold and dementia, mold and Alzheimer's, mold and MS, mold and cancer. Um, another one of my, you know, mm-hmm. my, um, preceptorship was at the, the cancer treatment centers of America. So all of these mm. things that just kind of built my skill sets, um, and then finding myself in Lyme country in Wisconsin, <laughs> that's a really good way to realize, oh, yeah. I better know something about Lyme disease. 
so then mold and pandas pans, I got to that kind of a circuitous route, which was working with Lyme patients. You know, first I thought everybody had mm-hmm. heavy, well, I, they did have heavy metal toxicity, but you clean that up and a lot of people get better. And then some people didn't. I'm like, well, why, what's going on with these people? Oh, they have Lyme disease. Okay. Go get trained at mm-hmm. ILADS, treat their Lyme. A lot of people got better. Still, there's these persistent people who didn't. And then realize that's a mold problem and treat mm-hmm. the mold. A lot of people get better, but why is mold causing these other things? You start to see the pattern of like, oh my gosh, I think my MS patients who had Lyme also have mold. And oh my goodness, I think, you know, mm-hmm. so you start making the connections. And it wasn't until my kids were 10 or 11, um, I was at a Lyme conference listening to the Dr. Charles Ray Jones, who we ended up treating with. Mm. I think it must have been younger than that, probably nine. I don't even remember. But I'm sitting at the conference and it was that moment of, oh my goodness, I think my kids have have gestational Lyme. And actually, I thought they just had Lyme. And then we went to go see him and he turns to me and he says, how's your Lyme doing? And I, you know, how are you doing on your mm. treatment? And I was like, what? What? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I don't have Lyme disease. I yeah. have fibromyalgia, <laughs> you know, even though I was, you know, going through mm-hmm. the training, I learned a lot more. And yeah, it was just that thing of like, he said right at the very first thing, they do have Lyme, but they have pans also. I have twins. That's mm-hmm. why I, I refer to them as they all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, they got it from mom, got this Lyme disease thing, got mold in utero and developed this this autoimmune condition at a very young age. And that's how I start my book is that this is more than an infection problem. This is much more than a strep problem. This is a an immune depletion setting the stage for toxins to not be able to be cleared from the body so that when the infection hits, the, the immune system is not up for taking it on and it can become mm-hmm. autoimmune. Yeah. yeah. Long story. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and I, I want to get into that a little bit more. Um, I think it's, probably good a good time to since we both have been medical parents i think we both have like appreciation for just that life of in the life of being a medical parent and you know maybe like tuning into a podcast like this because you're just either in a sense of you're inspired to learn more or you're feeling desperate or you're feeling like what is, what are we missing? It's, it's in a, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's such a, a heroic path, but also a very, such a challenging path. And I, I just think it'd be nice just to kind of set a container um, for our listeners about all the information, you know, and how to, how to digest it. Mm. Do you have any insight, like, as to, you know, how to ground yourself so that it doesn't, cause, you know, more stress and anxiety when you're seeking health information? Yeah, just remember, it's just that it's information. And then your discernment is the real medicine, you know, what can come into the Mm. field and what can't, and being really mindful of the frequencies that you expose yourself to as that as that medical parent that you might be more drawn to things that are more dramatic, just because you're living in drama. So taking that moment to say, Okay, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just take this in as information and then 
I'm going to check in with my heart and my kid, because you know your kid better than anybody, better than mm-hmm. any, you are the greatest authority on your kid. And the child is the greatest authority on themselves. So sometimes you can be in the state of a parent and be really freaked out from a symptom. You know, mm-hmm. like we have kids who are afraid to let their poop go. And so they'll put it in their pillowcases. You know, like this is mm-hmm. how scary it can feel as a parent because you see that and you think that is insane behavior. No, it's not. It's information. What they're telling you is I need my microbiome. I'm low on probiotics. I'm low on commensal species. So I don't mm-hmm. even want to let this go. So when we can just stop in, stop from the fear moment of, you know, living in the chaos part and take a deep breath and realize, okay, I'm my greatest authority on my kid. My kid's the greatest authority on them. <laughs> and now I'm just yeah. getting this information. What of all of this fits right now? Maybe you put a pin in some of it because it feels right, but it's maybe not the right time or it's too overwhelming. Put lots of pins mm-hmm. in things. And that's the nice thing about a podcast is you can you can listen to them over and over and over again. So I think just keeping that, right. you know, trusting yourself as your greatest authority and the rest of it is just information so you get to choose yeah Yeah. does that what do you think i'm curious how you handled that as a medical yeah i mean that that was i think that was really it really resonated with me um and i'll tell you why because um i think if you approach something from a point of curiosity versus um i have to know this or this is what I'm missing or this is the answer and you you pin your future on information um, or you pin um, then it can be a slippery slope so I mean for me it's curiosity and I think that's kind of what you're talking about is like it's information take reflect on it um, learn stay objective see if it applies to you and at the end of the day, um, you have to digest it and it has to assimilate and it has to be applicable because um, mm-hmm. every little thing that comes your way and ideas and chat groups and parent boards and is not you. It's somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, And it's really you know, helpful information. Um, but it's just yeah. that it's just information. And I, I tell my own kids there, one of them was sicker longer than the other. Um, and he would say, why do I have to do all this stuff? You know, <laughs> he'd be so frustrated. And, and I would tell him this very reassuring thing to know that is when we get rid of the triggers, your body's going to do it on its own. Anyway, all of these other things just shorten the path. So if mm-hmm. you went into a coma today, your body would figure out how to heal this. Now, mm-hmm. once we remove those triggers, so the triggers are, you know, the the environmental and the, and the stealth infections, those combinations, we get rid of those triggers. So if you have a kid in a coma, they're not getting exposed to strep. They're not getting exposed to flu. They're not getting exposed to, you know, tick bites and that kind of thing. So I told my son, you know, if you were in a coma, your body would figure this out. It would just take a lot longer. And so all of these mm-hmm. tools that you're hearing, you don't have to institute all of them at once, first of all. And even if you didn't do it perfectly, we are wired to heal. So the, mm-hmm. the child's body exactly. will figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. It really that. takes the pressure I off, think, doesn't you know, it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, I think it's a very, um, 
it can be very helpful for a parent's psychology and well-being um, when you you become a learner and observer and um, in this process, you know, because you know as you're bringing things to your family or to your team or your, you know and and learning more, you feel you have a sense of empowerment um, and mm-hmm. you feel like you're you can you can actually make a difference, which um, is really important because uh, mm-hmm. the alternative is not so great, you know, mm-hmm. where you're just sitting back. Yeah. But yeah. Or, I mean, or I worse, being told that you don't know that, you know, if, if you've ever tried like a psych med with your kid and they had a complete mania and it was supposed to be calming. And then the next doctor you see is like, well, we're going to start them on this medication. And you're saying, no, 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 that's not, that's not good for my kid. You know, that's not how it worked with my mm-hmm. kid. And if you're, if you're not believed, go find someone else, you know, because that's, yeah. that's not um, so. worth the, the credibility points w- between you and your child, you know, like they know they experienced mm-hmm. it. So if you're like trying to talk, if you get talked into it and then you're trying to talk your kid into it, that's just going to, you know, cost trust points between the two of you. So, mm-hmm. you know, just, just find your team, find your dream team. I talk about that in my book, you know, find your dream team. And mm-hmm. that, that can take a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so important to have a voice and um, with, you know, have a team that is partnering with you. And, you know, I think also it's as a parent, you have every right to be that parent. <laughs> that be that questions. parent. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, question, you know, be as annoying as you want. There's There's a lot on the line here, you know. And mm-hmm. that's what I, I mean, as after going through uh, being a, a medical parent in a very intense situation with uh, pediatric cancer, um, I, you know, I, I walked away saying like, I'm not going to leave anything on the table, like any question. Why would mm-hmm. I? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, yep. and the team, you know, the team, you find people that will um, answer you and respond to you and. Um, I'm sure it's harder for some people and others and having that I was a medical provider probably helped. But um, I think we just need to foster that and help people have the courage and voice to stand up for their children. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Be that patient. Even if you're the adult struggling with something, be that patient. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. (laughs) Completely. And, you know, for me as the doc, getting those patients has been a blast because they do teach me a lot. You know, they're the ones bringing the book. You need to read this or you need to know about this. You know, way back it was mass cell thing and now everybody's talking about it. It's really nice to know now because it's helping the patients where I was missing it. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I know, like, that's a perfect example with mass cells. It's like naturopathic doctors have been clued into this histamine mass cell world for a long time. In fact... There was a condition we were taught called histodelia. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it was like from orthomolecular medicine. But yeah, like uh, the patients, you know, who brought me um, Afrin's book that put it all together and yeah. helped us understand it. It's like, yeah, we learn, we learn from you. And, right. um, and that's, you know, just a very kind of symbiotic relationship. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I, I'd love to get into some sort of basic um, information. And I, I, one of the things I really like about your book is um, it helped me understand why there's like a classic presentation of uh, pandas and pans. And then there's this other sort of that kind of came come from like a chronic pattern over time. It sounds like more similar to like what your, maybe your children went through, like mm-hmm. where there was like a background of, of other immune issues. And then it, it sort of tacked on, but I think the common denominator um, of pans and pandas, maybe we can start with that. And I guess there's another term called pins, um, pediatric infectious um, disorders that you know, it's kind of like there's a lot of different definitions. Maybe we can just start with like what's going on and what's some of the common denominators between all these fancy acronyms? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I wonder if we'll ever figure out, you know, which animal are, are we pots, pans, you know, <laughs> are, we, are we bears? Right. Yeah, and I think it's because we're still trying to figure out the the mechanism of action and the triggers. You know, that's the the classic pandas is that a kid was fine, they had strep, and then an overnight sudden change after their strep infection. Well, then there were kids Mm -hmm. whose strep wasn't part of that, so then they had to create this thing called pans, which has the same presentation, but you couldn't tie it to strep. Um, but yeah, there's this third one that kind of has a more gradual onset that some people have tried to put, um, Nadal, so neuropsychiatric, um, condition associated with Lyme disease. So there's this, you know, we're all trying to figure out like, are we going to name it by the, oh, and then there's basal ganglia encephalitis that's being tossed around. Are we going to name it by the trigger or are we going to name it by the morphological findings? Are we going to name it by the symptoms? And um, each kind of has, they have very, very similar, but slightly different symptoms. Um, but the thing that is the tie that binds is, again, that, that immune system was depleted in some way. So the kid who was, quote, fine until this happened, usually in the parents, at least, that I'm working with, and everyone's going to see a slightly different patient base by who you attract, but the patients or the parents that I work with, they say, you know, now that we think about it, they were the one that didn't get the perfect attendance record at school. You know, they were the one mm-hmm. that kind of sort of had stuff going on, skin rashes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're fine in air quotes, meaning they're limping along and showing up, but not to their best, you know, strength. Mm-hmm. And then they get something. So it could be an infection and rarely it could be only the toxin exposure but the toxin exposure is laid on top of that immune deficiency. And it may actually be the cause for immune deficiency as in the case of mold. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this infection starts. Um, So the common, most common symptoms and for, if we lump them all together, anxiety is a huge one and separation anxiety is the most common way that that anxiety shows up. Mm -hmm. And that could be to a parent or that could be to a room, a space. Mm -hmm. And often is a little bit of both. <laughs> so, yeah. So they have trouble, you know, either leaving the parent or they have trouble leaving home. Um, maybe, you know, school refusal, those sorts of things. Uh, difficult concentration. So it can sort of look like a kid who, if there's anxiety, you know, and they push through and you can get them to school and then they can't concentrate when they're there. So they may get first called ADD. Um but anxiety type in air quotes again, anxiety type ADD, because they had the anxiety about leaving 
home and then, you know, couldn't pay attention at school. Um, mm -hmm. And what's really curious about all of them is that we really focus on the damage to the brain, but we see urinary frequency as one of the most common symptoms across all, all of them. Mm. And we see that with mold too. So I'm curious once we get to do some really deep studies, how many of those kids actually have mold as the core. My top four bad guys, environmental bad guys for causing or not causing, contributing to uh, these conditions is weed killer, also known as glyphosate or Roundup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Horrible on the gut. And we can talk about why the gut matters for autoimmune. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then mold and then EMFs and mercury. And that just has to do with, all of those have to do with the gut-brain connection and then their ability to affect the brain and the immune system of the brain. So we can see ticks, we can see obsessive compulsive disorder, we can see um, kind of a classic then one that we'll hear from parents is that they went to school or their handwriting is completely off. Like it looked normal and then there was something that they, they might have a, a drift on the page where they're starting farther over to the right and the handwriting is just a mess. Or maybe in art, they're not able to do symmetry. Um, mm -hmm. so there are these things that uh, some of the fellow Pandas Pan's parents that um, I'm friends with are school nurses. And I feel like these ladies, are not always my friends are ladies, but ladies and gentlemen are one of the most mm -hmm. important um, first, uh, I don't know, exposures or whatever. We need to be educating them because they will be the first ones to see this. You know, learning mm. difficulties, handwriting, um, loss of symmetry right. in art. You know, wow, they could really help identify this and help, help get kids treated a lot sooner. Yeah. And um, what about like the OCD aspect? Mm -hmm. So you will see on the clinical criteria. So both of these conditions, pandas and pans, are diagnosed by clinical presentation. So you don't have to have any particular lab that says, yes, for sure, this is what you have, unless you're a lab person. <laughs> so if you are a proof person, mm -hmm. um, you might be interested in some of the clinical labs, but you don't have to have a positive lab or a lab that's finding something to say, yes, this is PANDAS or this is PANS. When we look at the, the clinical criteria, they all the PANDAS starts with ticks and OCD to the a degree that it's affecting their activities of daily living. So that it's become severe enough that they can't do the things that they should be doing every day. And what's mm -hmm. interesting is that's, you know, the category one on the clinical criteria of pandas. But when you look at the pandas parents and they surveyed, so the, the most common symptoms, I get that from a survey of parents, ticks and OCD is sort of like middle of the road. And the first thing that they mention is separation anxiety. So mm. it is there. OCD is definitely there. Um, the, it's going to look a little different in a kid than it would in an adult, potentially, uh, because the obsessions are the thoughts. The compulsions are the behaviors that follow the, the obsessive thought. So a child may not be able to tell you, I have an obsessive thought, because they don't have that. They're the only brain they've ever known. you know. So they mm -hmm. don't have a way of saying, like, this, this is a really unusual thought. They're just acting through their compulsion to calm the obsession. So that could be right. to create order in their life. That could be hand-washing because their immune system is feeling compromised. Um, so you can see rep repetitive hand-washing, like a classic OCD um, or mm -hmm. germophobia or something like that. But you can also see something that might look like 
oh, wow, my kid is finally, finally following directions. You know, they're mm-hmm. showering. Wow. You know, and you pick yeah. yourself a pat on the back as a parent and be like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, this kid who was just like, you know, pig pen is all of a sudden showering and cleaning their room and wiping yeah. down the toilet and right. lining up their shoes. And oh my gosh, well, aren't we doing an amazing job as a parent? And here that was the first flare. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you, then you start to see it in a different light. When, yes. And then um, it can get more severe with each flare. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to affect activities of daily living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the ticks and compulsions and um, various other things, um, can you talk about, I think it's important for us to understand because that, that does unpack some of the the way this process is affecting the brain. Like it, is, that, is that coming from mm-hmm. a specific region of the brain that is driving that and from some aspect of these infections? Yes, definitely. Uh, That is really, that helps it make more sense of why we're seeing some of these particular behaviors. The area of the brain that gets affected is the basal ganglia and the limbic system. And what we see is a damage to the dopamine one and two receptors and also cholinergic interneurons. So we're going to see changes in how the body, the dopamine receptors absorb dopamine, but also glutamate. And so we can see that the, the synapses, their brain, is swimming in excess dopamine. And that's where we get the adventitious movements. That's where we see ticks and movements. And, um, and you can actually see in a pan's case, more so than pandas, we can see aggression. We can see, mm-hmm. um, or regression. You know, all of a sudden a teenager is talking baby talk. Um, and then the, I think that the acetylcholine is playing into this that I don't, necessarily exactly understand how if it's an excess or a deficiency you know of what's happening with that Um, but i know that the plants that i love to use many of them have activity on normalizing acetylcholine as well so there Mm -hmm. is just dopamine 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 (laughs) like crazy okay when they're in a flare but then what can happen is that in between the flare they can just hit the skids on the dopamine and you can see a kid going to um, depression and ennui, but even worse, despair. And this is where we can get suicidality with these kids. So mm-hmm. I think understanding that there's this flare and then, you know, peak trough, peak trough that can happen with their brain mm. chemistry. Okay. And how long does it generally take someone to get the right diagnosis? Is it like months, oh years? I, I don't know the latest on this, but I think when I was, um, researching for my book, I think that the average is like nine doctors before there was an accurate diagnosis. And then, you know, that may or may not have gleaned the appropriate treatment if the doctor didn't have training in that. And that's, that's why, you know, I'm writing the book for parents and I'm also creating a training course for practitioners so that you get one approach, you know, there's no, because with any burgeoning diagnosis like this, there's no standard of care yet. You know, we're all trying to just figure it out. So I just shared what's working with my patient base. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it seems like, um, that ninth doctor or that ninth evaluation even could have a high degree of uncertainty and you, you know, it's not like, you know, getting like a positive or negative test and it's like, okay, this is, this is reliable that that diagnosis is, has a, a, a degree of, um, uh, it's it's sort of like an equivocal 
sort of situation where it's um, not always lining up. You might even not have a positive test. It's based on mm -hmm. symptoms, and you kind of have to just um, open the door and go through it. I mean, that that's that part seems really scary, um, and yeah. I think it's scary for practitioners even. You know, because you're opening a door, and you're you're going to be asking a lot of someone. Um, and the patients are being asked to do a lot. And once you go through that door, I mean, it's not something like you just step in and step out. You, like, if you're going to heal from this, you kind of have to go through a process, right? Yeah, walk that threshold. Yeah, I think I think that there, there are gradations of severity. And I think that we, again, if we can sort of um, fearlessly walk through that door sooner rather than later... There's a lot less damage that we have to have the brain repair. So being mm -hmm. fearful of this diagnosis can actually set it up to being a harder thing to treat in the end. Great point. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's such a valuable point because I think the the impression, you know, like natural medicine or integrative medicine is like, oh, we're gonna start with all this, you know, sort of real gentle approach and if we have to, we're going to have to pick up the notch, you know, like, mm -hmm. but I think it's really important for people to hear that that doesn't apply to every condition. Like if you have a formidable opponent, <laughs> right. Meet it with know, the same force. To... <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. People so it, assume, it, you know, the same thing with like some of my uh, patients who have Bartonella, like Lyme and Bartonella, and they'll, they'll describe themselves as sensitive. And then when I say, well, you know, in your case, I'm just looking it over. I think that, you know, using pharmaceuticals would be helpful for you. And they kind of, you know, it's like deer in the headlights. What a naturopathic doctor is saying that and I'm sensitive. I can't do that. Sometimes you're so sensitive because of the muscles and you can't do plants and that kind of thing. We need to get you out of that crisis point. And it's the same thing with pandas and pans. Like sometimes we're just nailing them with, NSAIDs, ibuprofen or naproxen mm -hmm. for a good two weeks. You know, we protect their gut and do all of the things that we need to do. But, you know, it's also a very good tester. It's also a very good thing of like, well, did that make things go away? Did that, did ibuprofen, a headache medicine, make behavior improve? Okay, now we have information. Now we know a lot right. more. That was almost diagnostic in itself. So let's, mm -hmm. let's proceed forward. We may not do that continuously, obviously, but, um, a short high course is very instructive. Yeah, and you know, you see some pans and panda patients. Like the first thing they'll do is um, be referred for like a steroid treatment or um, Ig um, IgG mm -hmm. um, sometimes, and then um, obviously like penicillin shots and other things. Can you talk about that? Is that like two different camps, or is it? Is there sort of like an integrative camp now where you're doing a little bit of that and then all the other things that you lay out with um, deflaming and other inflammation treatments and antioxidant treatments and um, herbal treatments? What what's what are you seeing out there? Uh, do people have to really pick these two camps or is it does it all kind of blend together? Well, I'm hoping what my book and trainings are going to do is make sure that people don't feel like they have to pick a camp. You know, because you're, you have to meet the child where they're at and every kid and every family's situation is different. Every kid, even within the same family is different. And that's more the rule than the exception that, um, mm -hmm. same with mold, you can have 
a moldy house and everyone's going to be sick in a different way. You know, it just is how this, this world works right now because of, you know, it's, it's the, um, filling the cup with toxin world that we live in now, you know, everybody's got a different soup of toxins that they're working with and infection burdens. So, you know, you're dealing with different soup, um, broth, we might say. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think, I, I think it's dangerous to get into camp encampments because then I think that we are missing opportunities. So in, and of course, this is my bias because I practice integrative medicine. Um, I can tell you that the IVIG doctors that I work with and that treated my own kids have said repeatedly as we were going through treatment, you know, your patients are some of the healthiest PANS kids that we work with. So there's mm-hmm. something there and it's not just yeah. because they, it was my kids. I have a bigger you know sample set than just my own. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are camps though. I think there, there are going to be people who read my book and think, Oh, that's cute. You know, or that's dangerous, you know, because she's mm-hmm. not, you know, going with the standard of care. Um, I think it's just too new and we don't know enough to be really certain of any protocol or camp. Sure. It makes, mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And you know, I think um, in that, kind of in that realm, um, one of the things that's really great about your, your approach is that you're thinking about um, all that needs to be balanced. And there's a certain kind of order and um, process because it's sort of overwhelming to do all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can get into that in a little bit. But I'm I just curious, like someone who recently got diagnosed and let's say their, you know, their child um, goes through some initial treatments to, and they're getting a little stable, you know, and a little bit better, but it's more, I'd say more stabilizing treatments um, versus root cause treatments. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Like only steroids. Yeah. But not and, really and going then, farther. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately like pretty much, I think, it's universal. Um, anybody who's been on the other side of this will say, well, what, what's causing this? Like what, what's going on? Like Mm -hmm. we can do all these things, but like we need to figure out like what caused it. And I think you do a great job of that in the book of how kind of the flow of that process is there. I was curious when I was reading the book as if there's kind of like various clues that, push you in certain directions as far as, well, this seems like probably on the hierarchy, this is more of a mold, mycotoxin, um, mold fragment exposure, uh, spore exposure, or this, this is like Bartonella. Um, mm. Like, is there, because mm. you, you can't do everything, right? Because right? there's, there's so many drivers that could be involved. Um, and I'm sure this is experience, but I'm just curious if there's like, as a parent or someone who's thinking about the same questions, um, if there's a way to kind of say, well, this, this is maybe where we should start. Yeah, definitely. I think that there are some keynotes, you know, in homeopathy, we look for those keynotes and yeah. thank you for the great lead in. Cause <laughs> it gives me a great <laughs> idea of like, Oh yeah, that one. Oh yeah, that one. Um, uh-huh. so I did do as, as good of a job, I hope of putting complete symptom lists in the book. So if parents are, like, I don't even know what she's talking about with Bartonella. Like, what even is that? Um, yeah. So that if that is something that, you know, if those symptom lists fit, 
that helps a parent a lot if you're brand new to this because the the world has been strep dominant <laughs> in this this world. Mm-hmm. It's all been about the strep, the strep, the strep, the strep. Um, and so that's that's one thing that you know if somebody is just like, okay, well, what we're doing for the strep isn't necessarily working. Is there something else? Um, those those lists are there for people to kind of put the pieces together. But there are some keynotes. So like I was saying, the urinary frequency. Um, in my patient base, that's been almost exclusively mold is in the picture. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. they either grew up in a moldy home and they became the moldy building or they're actively in mold. And I think that whenever there is urinary frequency, there is mold somewhere in their environment at school mm. or somewhere, you know, at home. Schools are very moldy. So I, that's why I mention it. Um, when we see rage events, then I think more Bartonella. Um, and you can have mold and Bartonella, so you can have both <laughs> urinary frequency and rage yeah. events, but, uh, more aggression and rage that tends to have a Bartonella flavor to it. Um, when I see ticks that have a rotational or spiral, so circular, uh, which might be, um, a child's head has to turn, or it might be their hands turn, like they have mm-hmm. to make a circle in the air or they spin. Um, that is going to be. Uh, Borrelia. So whether that's either the Lyme disease Borrelia or the tick-borne relapsing fever Borrelia. Mm -hmm. And the reason is those are spiral-shaped bacteria, and they move through our body by corkscrewing. And the child's Mm. tissues will communicate that, and they will need to, quote, release their compulsion (laughs) or their obsession, which is not an obsession. It's actually a physical feeling that they are feeling in their serous tissues that they have to move that out, you know, that that is, they're Mm. communicating that, that that's what's going on. We can also look at some of the compulsive behavior to kind of understand how can we better support the child. So I talked about the kids who, you know, have a fear of flushing their poop in the toilet. And to me, that is them saying, I can't afford any more microbiome loss. So when we know Mm. that we can do all of the things that we know to support the microbiome, which I talk about in the regulate immunity, that. I have a core four treatment and regulate immunity is one of the core fours. And that's primarily focused on gut and gut health. And what, why is that? That's because a lot of these kids have a disruption of their microbiome, which is what allowed the autoimmunity to take hold in the first place. Um, Mm. Maybe a kid who has like a strict adherence and a very long drawn out bedtime routine and, you know, like, major parent attachment and all of these things that that the long drawn out bedtime routine tells me they don't have enough melatonin and they need some Mm -hmm. support with that. If there's strict adherence to routines, that tells me their adrenals are burnt out. They, Mm -hmm. they just can't handle the adrenals love routine. Um, so you can, it tells us a lot of these things really tell us what the child is needing a vocal tick that tells me that they have colonization and they have, you know, basically they're trying to create when we hum, Um, we create a zone of sterility on our sinuses, our nasal mucosa, um, not necessarily all the sinuses, but the nasal mucosa and possibly in the tonsils. So when a kid has a hum tick, hmm, they've just created a zone of sterility by increasing the nitric oxide on top of the mucosal surfaces. So then you know, okay, this kid needs some surface gate guarding (laughs) Mm -hmm. of the microbes on their, in their nasal mucosa or maybe in their tonsils. Yeah. Hmm. So lots of, lots of ways to, to 
decipher if we're like you, I'd love the word you reinforced in the beginning, curiosity, stay curious. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, so, and I think, you know, the, it's important for parents and all of us practitioners, um, to really understand like the, the biologic, like underpinnings, the tar- biologic targets of what we're trying to balance or address, because it's like if mm-hmm. treatment is being recommended, or you know, you kind of learn something from from someone online, or you know, in your own research, um, to kind of hook that up together as a, like a puzzle with like the biology that it's addressing that's related to this neuroinflammatory condition. And you do a, a, a great job of talking about some key things in, in the book. I, I was wondering if you can maybe just walk us through those like biology, biologic imbalances that you see. I think there was like three or four that you really highlight. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more, but those were like four big ones that could really um, help us direct treatment. Mm. So do you mean the, the monkeys of the mind? <laughs> yeah, the monkeys, the TH17, and I, I, I like the monkeys. Yeah, yeah yep. <laughs> well, I don't know if I like them, but I, I like Yeah, them. <laughs> we like monkeys when they're not being naughty. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the question is, why autoimmune? And the second question is, why the brain? So the first question, why autoimmune, has to do with when the body loses the ability to distinguish between self and other then you can get into an autoimmune disease because the immune system can, and I know you know this, I'm just telling your audience, then your immune system loses discernment, um, back to discernment again, uh, over what is the tissue itself, tissue, and what is the other tissue. The other is pretty easy to understand because there's going to be tags called virus, tags called bacteria, tags called parasite. Um, Mycotoxins are a little trickier because they can go into the cell wall and it's this phospholipid bilayer, they can just kind of hang out there. And um, so that it can be missed by some people. Um, sometimes you have to have a bigger load of that to, to identify that that's an invader. Um, so yeah, all of the invaders we would call other. But what we t- determines self is different than what I was taught in medical school. I mean, we, the gut was everything for sure. But I still had the idea that like our cells are the most important thing driving the bus, which is now we're finding it's probably the microbiome of our gut. So the microbiome Mm. of our gut is where, you know, the majority of our immune system is. The majority of our brain chemistry is made. It's where we assimilate nutrients that run the whole system. And they were learning there's a bi-directional crosstalk between the gut and the brain um, I left medical school, you know, 20 some years ago thinking the brain was the driver, you know, the brain told everybody what to do and you could induce certain things. If you had your patients smell their food before they ate and eating foods in a certain way, you know, don't dilute your stomach acid too much by drinking too much with your meal so that your brain can tell what you're digesting and tells the gut what to do. Well, the gut tells the brain what to do a lot. You know, in studies, there's mm-hmm. a really interesting mouse study that I reference in the book where they gave, they had lean mice and obese mice and changing nothing else, changing, not changing diet, movement, anything, light exposure, nothing. 
they did a fecal microbiota transplant. So they took the microbiome from the lean mice, put it in the obese mice, changed nothing, and the obese mice became lean mice. Mm -hmm. Wow. Our gut drives a lot. And so what we see is that when the gut is off, we see an increase in TH17. And that's the inflammatory cytokine that's correlated most strongly with developing an autoimmune disease. So we see that and we see more um, amyloid plaques, actually, which is very interesting. Mm. So this, this, I think the gut is telling the brain more <laughs> than, yeah. than maybe the brain is telling the gut. And then the gut is determining how we tag self tissue. So mm-hmm. if the gut is a mess, which is why weed killer, mold, EMFs, mercury are on my list, then, you know, and weed killer being the primary one, if the gut's a mess, then we lose the distinction of other. And then if you have that inflammatory cytokine, which that TH17, if we have that in an area, then there's going to be a higher risk of developing autoimmune activity in that area. And what's interesting about why pandas and pans goes to the brain is that intranasal infections of all types, not just strep, um, induce TH17. What they're seeing in mouse studies on pandas, so classic pandas, is that the mice have more TH17 in their brain when they introduce strep to the nose of the mouse. So it isn't Mm -hmm. that strep goes in there and irritates the brain. It's that the strep induces a particular type of cytokine, which then can ride what I call the elevator to the brain (laughs) through Mm -hmm. our nose. Because our our olfactory bulb, which is our smell nerve, is one of the four places in the brain where we don't have a blood-brain barrier. So things can, and the reason for that is so we can smell for safety. It's all about safety. Mm -hmm. The limbic system, the basal ganglia, that's all about maintaining, you know, are we we safe? Where's the food? You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So that area has these bare nerve fibers that reach down so that they can survey smell and communicate to the brain what's going on. Well, TH17 can go right up that elevator ride. So Mm. too can mycotoxins. So Mm. if the child has even a small amount of immune depletion in their nasal mucosa, they're not making good enough snot to break this stuff down and to break down the invader. You know, snot's full of enzymes and peptides and all these kind of things. Then that can just get an elevator right up to the brain, right up to the basal ganglia, and in the same region where we see structural changes in the brains of kids with pandas and pans. Wow. Did I cover that? really explains a lot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it definitely did. It, you know, explains a lot because, like, if you have, you know, in this population, if you have immune deficiencies, um... So that leads to inability to clear infections, you know, properly or swiftly or completely. And mm-hmm. that leads to more likelihood of autoimmunity, um, which, you know, obviously TH17 and then kind of that whole process of like how we got here. Yeah. Um, and that it really helps. So I, I think it's it's good to know like when we're, when we're thinking about how to help people, it's like, yes, the infections, but how do we, how do we balance the the aftermath of having TH17 elevation? And should do the treatments, herbs, kind of address that? Right. And um, it's it's really helpful to think of that. And then the fact that this is happening in the brain, 
um, primarily like is another thing to think about, like how do we get medicine or treatments into that area? Yeah. I wonder if you could like comment on that. Like there's this whole thing that you mentioned and, and it's been mentioned elsewhere. It's like the brain was always thought to be this sort of nothing got across this right. like barrier <laughs> And now it's seen elsewise, and you just kind of explained another mechanism that I didn't really know about. But um, maybe just kind of talk about, like, are, can we treat the brain as well as we think um, mm. with with our therapies and modalities? And is brain really the target? <laughs> There's a <laughs> yeah, pro- like, provoking question, you know, provocative question. The, is like, okay, when we understand that. Oh, I didn't even cover the monkeys. You know, the microbiome is our is our um, probiotics in our gut. So if we think about the the species that live there, um, they are intricately tied to the microglia in our brain. So we have microbiome is gut, microglia is brain, and the microglia are our resident immune cell in our brain, and they are the munchers, the eaters. And so the reason I call them monkeys is that they can actually like motivate around and move around the brain tissue, just like our macrophages can do in our body. They move around and they survey. And our immune system is not only responsible for taking out infections, but also for cleaning things up. There are garbage trucks. So Mm -hmm. these monkeys are swinging around the brain, just looking for metabolic waste and just cleaning things up. And, um, you know, basically I think it's a pretty, when you have a happy microbiome, because they are cousins, they've got like each other on direct text, um, if you have a happy microbiome, you have like happy monkeys that are just swinging around, eating up the garbage and doing their thing. But mm. when it finds something in an inflammatory environment, and that's where we get the gut brain connection, you know, that you really get, when I said, it, are we really treating the brain really need to be treating the gut because that's what can be triggering these monkeys to get upset. And when they get upset, they lose their little arm projections, so they can't move around, and they start spitting out inflammatory cytokines of their own. So a TH17 mm-hmm. cytokine gone up the elevator ride from the nose can irritate one of these monkeys, and then it can start to spit out cytokines, which then recruits more mast cells to come. Mm-hmm. And the mast cells are, uh, you know, I, I call it like monkey poo. <laughs> it's an upset <laughs> monkey. Yeah sit in the tree, complain, you know, squawk, squeak, and fling poo. And that is more inflammatory cytokines. And if they hit another monkey who's just swinging by, that monkey gets upset and loses its projections, gets mad, flings poo. So we have what could have been just like... like Sounds like (laughs) something that's called a blank show. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, a fit show. Uh, yeah, (laughs) exactly. So this is this little wildfire that can take off in the brain where it would have just been one monkey who's, you know, can digest that TH17, doesn't have to recruit a bunch of mast cells can be like, I got it, I got it, I got it. But if the microbiome of the gut is messed up, that monkey is very triggerable. It's like a mm. more triggerable than a 14 year old girl, you know, like it's like any little thing can set it off. So then you get these, these monkeys upset. And when the microglia get recruited, meaning they get upset, the only way to calm that down is for that cell to die and be replaced by a fresh one that still has its appendages and isn't flinging poo. So 
they're upset for the life of that monkey's life. And that means that anything that happens in the gut that upsets the gut or systemically, meaning you could sprain an ankle, you could lose a tooth, which the tooth is particularly problematic because a lot of times that um, we will have a crossover of strep exposure when you lose a tooth because of the blood Mm. that's induced. So you get a double whammy. Now we have strep and now you've got two monkeys upset that are recruiting mast cells to the area. And the mast cells are just like a cluster bomb. They just set off this wildfire of inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's calming that inflammation down and encouraging those monkeys to, you know, go ahead and just die. Make room for the next guy. You know, make room for the next guy. Right. Because they're supposed to kind of um, do their work and stop, right? Like it's supposed to be like a cleanup project that has, it kind of has like stops and starts, right? Instead of like an ongoing pruning or ongoing mm-hmm. um, yeah our activity. immune cells are supposed to they have a very short life cycle in um, comparison to like a neuron cell and we look at our brain two-thirds of our brain is immune only mm-hmm. one-third is for the thinking part which is amazing you know the executive function the cognition that kind of thing so you can tell like pruning and cleaning is a really important part of how our brain functions well it's kind of the same as our gut which is really interesting And we have these cells are supposed to just have kind of a short life cycle where they do what they do. They, so in a normal situation without all the inflammation, that's why tame the flame is one of the first is the first core because without the inflammation, that mad monkey can go into its program cell death is what it's called. And so, yes, every cell is made with a program to die so that it will pre-digest things that are toxic and make them into nutrients so that when it dies, the next cells can use those as food. Interestingly, that's what mold does for us as well in our outer environment. Mm. And it's trying to do that in the in, inner environment. And that's what can be very inflammatory as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it, when it goes through that process of completing that work, then the mast cells don't get as uh, angry. Yes. The mast as cells are just like, oh, they're just doing their program. They're just running their program. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I shouldn't talk to, about mast cells in such a negative, harsh way because I mean they're they're very brilliant. important. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just that they're just really, really sensitive, and they they come to protect us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes at a high cost to us. Yeah, because they're non-specific. I mean, that's the thing mm-hmm. is that um, I think that's what was very interesting in the studies. Um, about treating the mice's or mice's <laughs> yeah that'd be right with their nose with strep repeatedly um mm-hmm. the big question was okay is is it going to be the strep that comes in is it you know is strep the problem and finding out that it wasn't the strep it was what the strep induced and then you know when in my research finding that every intranasal infection preferentially generates the same cytokine th17 which Mm. is the one tied to autoimmunity i'm like oh my goodness you know then it is really it is really anything that can set this off Mm. once once already set off you know yeah yeah it's um you know just i I, before we leave this particular kind of part of our discussion i just want to circle back at the to the gut because i think one of the things that um you know we see is you asked 
a question of ourselves or a patient or the, you know, the patient might say, well, the gut seems fine. Um, there's no bloating, you know, they're, they're making bowel movements. They don't complain of pain. So I think we can skip over that. Is that a reasonable response in this scenario or is it always good because we don't always see the symptoms from the gut to tell us that there's a gut problem? Right. That's a really good point. And we've normalized abnormal also. You know, oh, people yeah. are like, do you have normal bowel movements? That's not the question to ask any patient ever. <laughs> because <Yeah>. they'll say, <laughs> yep. Then if you say, well, how many times do you go to the bathroom? Well, about every other day. That's right. not normal. You know, so first of all, yeah. we've normalized abnormal, um, which yeah. now if you're listening and you're thinking, well, what is normal? You know, the way we were trained as naturopathic doctors is, you know, two to three bowel movements a day fully formed sinkers, medium brown, no gas, no mucus, no blood, no undigested food. It doesn't fall apart when you flush. It goes down as the whole loaf, <laughs> you know, the whole yep, thing. Like, yep, yep. The, you know, sinkers, not floaters. You know, there is a normal that is healthy normal. And then there's a normal that's abnormal, just normalized, you know, abnormal. Mm-hmm. So if anyone is not having that version of normal, there's a gut problem. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen, just to piggyback on that, I've seen um, other conditions that have like a gut connection, such as skin conditions and yeah. various other things where, Sinusitis. you know, you know, you, you have the, um, the patient complaining of no digestive issues. We do the microbiome kind of tests and gut function tests and, it's really off and you right. treat it and everything balances. So I, I, after talking to you, it's just, I think reinforces that, you know, we, if there is such a strong gut brain link to um, neuroinflammation that, you know, <clears throat> as you said, it's the, um, you know, if the primary issue is that the gut's driving it, we should check the gut regardless um, yeah. if we can. Yeah. Or treat it if, if that's the only option we have in, in ways that, you know, make sense. Yeah, there's um, that precursor thing in children, since this is about pandas and pans. Um, there are sister tissues to the gut that are pretty predictably going to inflame if the gut is inflamed. So you can have no, quote, gut symptoms. But if you have sinusitis, joint pain, or skin problems, or the trio, you've got a gut problem. You know, they're, they mm. were there. I talk about in the book the the embryonic cell that started your body <laughs> divides oh, wow. into these um, families of cells, we can call it. So mesenchymal cells. There are, then those become different tissues, differentiated into different kinds of tissues. Well, the gut and the brain and the sinuses and the, the joint tissue, that those are all part of that embryonic cell. So they're they're connected at a deep, deep level. So when the gut is inflamed, you can see these these particular clusters of symptoms that tell you this is a gut problem. So when we see a kid who like, then when the parents are like, no, no, he was perfectly healthy before this happened. I say, never, was he ever snotty? You know, have kind of like snoring while he was sleeping, which can be a kid version of sinusitis, skin issues or ever complain of joint pain. And, you know, beyond like, played really hard and you know but this would be the kid that 
you know, when they were rested watching TV and they get up and they look like an old man, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's a gut problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I think your, your book is such a wonderful kind of first step for any patient or family that Mm -hmm. has this diagnosis. And um, I remember having a similar book, but from more of a Western medicine perspective for um, when, when we were dealing with pediatric cancer and it just was grounding and sort of like, I didn't have to do a bunch of Google searches and I had a really foundation. I think that's how I see your book is like Mm. step one, pick up your book and like all the nitty gritty details of like treatments are in there and, you know, like treatment ideas that are well researched and well thought through. So um, it's really helpful. I, I think it, we, you know, I want to respect your time. So I think it's best that people just kind of maybe, you know, will go out there and pick up the book and, and read through the, the treatment specifics. Um, and, but I, I, what I wanted to do is just kind of finish on a, a note because like you, you say in the book, um, something that's really important about, um, how to enroll kids in doing things that are hard, hard stuff. <laughs> Cause I mean, that's like, I mean, if you have like an NG tube and you can push medicines, it's like a different situation than, you know, asking your 10 or 11, 12 year olds to do something. And I'm surprised about how many patients and parents will say, Oh, that they're great at that. I know. I hear that. I'm stunned. I'm continuously stunned with like yeah. what I'm so, perceiving is going to be the big barrier. And they're like, Oh no. I'm- right. <laughs> yeah. That's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's wonderful. But what would you, what, I like what you, you say, share in the book about some of this kind of your general philosophy about how to, how to make this all work. If you're an overwhelmed parent and you have a child that's not doing well. Yeah, it's a rule of thumb that um, I learned from my grandmother, and it's if it's fun, it gets done, you know, and that's <laughs> yeah. just if you can think of that as the parent, um, is there any way to make this fun? And if so, do it, you know, because yep. it's so much, it's more fun for you guys, but you know, it preserves your relationship. Um, and it does make it something for the kid that isn't a have to, it's a get to. Um, one yep. example of that is... Um, making like foam out of the herbal remedy using a foamer and put that on top of the tea or something like that. So it's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be treachery all the time and Mm -hmm. have them participate in it. That's a big thing. And as a parent for my tip for the families that I work with is make sure that you're having more than one way to administer any kind of medicine and that you start that from the very beginning so that it's an expectation that, they have a choice, you know, did you want to take your, um, I, I put Chinese skull cap in the book. That's one of my favorite botanical avatars for this condition. Cause it, yeah. it hits all the mechanistic marks. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of bitter. So, you know, you say, well, did you want to take the, the Chinese skull cap in a glycerate or did you want to, you know, take it in the powder that we mix into this or that, you know, which way did you want to do it today? So the, mm-hmm. the not taking it is not one of the options. The child has agency, they have choice, and they can say, okay, I want to do it this way today. And then you're always setting yourself up for success because this is a long game. This is yep. a marathon. Um, so you're setting yourself up for success in the very beginning by setting the intention that, first of all, the child has a choice. 
but the choice is not not taking it. The choice is which way did you want to take it? Because there will be the day that they want to say, I just can't today, or I'm not up for it or whatever. I refuse. You can say, oh, no, that's not the choice. The choice is this one or this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And yeah. within that, there's a sense of um, freedom or empowerment for them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I think those are all really great suggestions. Uh, so when in closing, if you could just leave us with some closing thoughts, and then we'd kind of love to hear more about ways people can follow you and maybe some of the um, programs you're focusing on right now. Sure. Uh, I guess the last one would be just remember that you you do deserve a dream team. You you know, as a parent, you don't have to do this alone. I heard from parent after parent after parent because the condition has behavior changes, um, their world got real small. And there's a false belief that can happen with that is that my world got small, so I can't have support. And I want you to rewrite that belief <laughs> because you can have a completely supported small world. And mm. that's a really natural thing. You know, when you have a kid who's doing weird behaviors and it's socially awkward and you feel like you want to protect them, um, and maybe the child is protecting themselves from infection, from germs, and so they don't want to hang out with grandma or grandpa or they don't want to hang out with even one of the parents. So if that's if you're that parent, go get tested for strep. Um, you know, treat the strep and the kid wants to hang out with you again. It's magical. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your world can be small and it does get small and that's that's okay. But then you just build the team that understands that this is a body problem expressing itself as behavior changes. There's mm-hmm. nothing broken with your kid. It's that they are sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the paradigm change we have to get to with mental health. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a big change, you know, um, from, you know, people just being, you know, told that and being labeled with this condition that's like a mental health condition and nobody's digging for more answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there are people with mental health conditions. I don't want to say that, but this is a case where, you know, it's not a child who there's hidden child abuse or there's, you know, it's not a child who's dealing with this childhood trauma. The trauma is their body is attacking itself. And that can get really scary for people that are around the kid who is having outbursts or, you know, tics or OCD. Like why is why is your kid vacuuming again, you know, or why are they washing their hands over and over again? And, you know, that can, a lot of parents, they just say, you know, it's just not worth it for us to go to our friends anymore because they're mm-hmm. not respecting things like, you know, can, can everybody just wash their hands after you use the bathroom, please? You know, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's okay. Take, you're going to have some losses, uh, but you're going to also gain a whole group of, of people. If you allow yourself the, to rewrite that belief that you deserve support and you can have a changed and slightly smaller group of support, but they can be really stalwart and be there for you. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And um, so I know drkrista.com is sort of the hub of all hubs. There's so much information up there. I love (laughs) going to your website. Um, Is there any specific programs or um, things that you're really focusing on these days that you want to let us know about? I have the, um, my book, A Light in the Dark for Pandas and Pans, and then I'm playing around with doing what I'm calling book clubs, which is 
not where we read all the books on pandas and pans, although there are some really, really great ones. You know, Dr. Nancy O'Hara has one, Demystifying Pandas and Pans, mm -hmm. Dr. Bach, Brain Inflamed. There's some really good books. So, you know, that's fantastic. But I've, I heard from parents saying, I'm not even, sh I'm not even getting time to get through the book and I'm not even sure what to do. You know, like the, the confidence is low because for some families, this is the first time they've forayed into anything functional in naturopathic medicine mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. conventional wasn't working for them. We hear that a lot, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So we have a, um, we're doing it right now, a pandas, pans, parents book club, which is mm. they get part of my membership. They get the membership and all the Q and A's that we do with that. Um, but those are more general. Those are more going to be like mold, lime, pandas, pandas, just all. So it's not going to be as directed. Whereas then the book club, we meet uh, once a week for 11 weeks where people can, it's just pandas and pans. It's just the parents. Um, and it's a, you know, much, it's a capped group as far as how many people. And it's really beautiful doing that right now. I don't know if I'll do that again. You know, I'm just kind of seeing like how that works and if people really want that support. Um, but that's, that's what I'm working on right now. And then training excellent. more doctors. That's my goal. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. yeah. This has been amazing. Thank you so much Thank for your time and sharing all this wonderful knowledge and inspiration and sharing like, just like a really loving, caring spirit that you have that mm. makes this, that's what, you know, it's kind of like makes it all come together for me. It's like, if you have all that, it's like, uh, more than a trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love your questions. It's so fun talking, not just colleague to colleague, which, you know, we have that, but like medical parent to medical parent, that's yeah. a whole other level of livid, lived it, <laughs> that your yeah, questions yeah. are really beautiful because I think that they, they're going to help listeners, um, really feel heard and feel like, okay, well, they, if they had challenges and they're doctors, like it's okay for me to be struggling a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you. Thanks for recognizing that. Um, and uh, I'll just keep uh, following your work. It's it's uh, inspiring us all. And um, I, I hope uh, to catch up with you down the road. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from it. Forward the, the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me. <laughs>